Well, good morning, Dorisville. Are you glad to be here today? It's a great place to be. It really is. It really beats the funeral home, nursing home, and the hospital. So be thankful for all those good things. And I think it's a really great day to enjoy a hamburger or a hot dog in Divina State Park. I'm looking forward to that. Um, someone's going to bring some really good baked beans, and someone's going to bring some really good dessert. It's going to be a good day. And I hope you'll come and join us because, like I say, we want to have a great time. Now, today we start a new series, and a series is like a group of sermons that we put together, and we do it like for four weeks in a row. Well, this one's a little bit weird because what we're doing is we're budding up next to a really big event that's coming up called the On Mission Celebration. And after that, we're going to be in the Philippines, and so I need to get this done. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do message number one this morning. Then we're going to go to the park this afternoon and have a great time and renew our minds. Then on Wednesday night, did y'all know we have church on Wednesday nights? We do. Okay? Six o'clock on Wednesday nights, underneath the steeple. We're going to do message number two. And then next Sunday morning, we'll do number three. And the next Sunday night, we'll do number four. And we want to talk about, as you saw, mind games. Now, the mind is an incredible thing. In Psalm 139, it says this, we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And we really are. It's an incredible thing. And, and I've discovered as I've journeyed this, these six decades, these 60 years of my life, just how amazing our minds are. And you know, they can be amazing for good things, and they can be amazing for bad things, diff- difficult things, <clears throat> almost evil things. So what I want to do is I want to share with the next four weeks scriptures from the book of Philippians. And Philippians, of course, is a, it's a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. That's really one of a book at all. It's a letter. And the theme of the book is joy. And four different times, in four big ways, Paul addresses how we think and what we do. And so I want to tie those scriptures together. And today we're going to talk about war and peace. And that really is um, how we do life on a small scale and how we do life on the really, really big scale. And as you can imagine from the title, there's some difficulty and there's some good stuff at the end. So we want to talk about war and peace today. Now, I've got several scriptures that are not... Uh, based on the book of Philippians, I'd like to share with you, and these are not on the sermon sheet. First off, it's Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Paul says this here. Set your mind, set your mind, place your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, talking about believers in Christ, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ Jesus. And one we used not too long ago is 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. And then lastly, and we have um, Isaiah 26, 3 and 4, the prophet speaking, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yah, the Lord, is everlasting strength. So how do we maintain a good mental health? As followers of Christ, what do we have to do? I know my wife knows this is a struggle with me because about three months ago, um, we sometimes leave like messages on the mirrors, you know, of our house, like our bathroom mirror. Like she might say, you're so incredibly good looking. And I say something like, liar, liar, pants on fire, you know, something like that, you know. But, But about three months ago, she wrote on the shower door, remember. Your body, now she's concerned about my health. So your body hears everything your mind says. And she was understanding the power of the mind and how that mind functions and how it works. And so so as we gather in the next four weeks, we want to see how we can have good mental health. 
Now, here's something that Charles Stanley, y'all know I'm a big fan of Andy Stanley. Well, Charles is his dad, and we're going to reference them in the service in just a moment. But Charles has been pastor of the First Baptist Church of Atlanta. He has In Touch Ministries. I've been one of the, one of the great preachers of our land for decades now. He's getting quite old, uh, still has a very powerful ministry. But here's what he said about renewing your mind. Renewing the mind is a little like refinishing furniture. It is a two-stage process. It involves taking off the old and replacing it with the new. The old is the lies you have learned to tell or were taught by those around you. It is the attitudes and ideas that become a part of your thinking but do not reflect reality. The, The new is the truth. To renew your mind is to involve yourself in the process of allowing God to bring to the surface the lies you have mistakenly accepted and replace them with truth. To the degree that you do this, your behavior will be transformed. See, I'm a guy, and y'all know I'm pretty transparent. If you're a guest here, I'm a pretty transparent guy. But I've wrestled with my brain for a long time. You know, I'm one of those people that really believe lies that my brain speaks to me. And, and it's a very difficult thing for me. And God is in the process of transforming that in my life. You know, I told the guys, um, I got a last-minute call from Tim Sadler to preach at the men's event Thursday. And I preached on Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1 through 10. And, and you know, there it says, you are a masterpiece. And it's not a, it's not a pastor trying to stretch a scripture to make it say something. It doesn't. When you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you really are a masterpiece. But the world is filled with situations, and frankly, the world is filled with people and ourselves that constantly feed lies about ourselves. And we start believing what others say and what circumstances say and what we say about us instead of what God says about us. So this idea of mental health is hugely, hugely important. Now, our first scripture today is going to be found in Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And then Sunday night, or Wednesday night, we're going to hit verse number 8. Then next week, we're going to do a message entitled, Letting It Go. And then finally, the following week, we're looking at the mind of Christ. How, how the mind of Christ functions in us. So let's look and see what Paul says about life in a small world first. Now here's what he says in verse number 1. Therefore, reading, writing to the church at, at Philippi, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren... My joy and my crown. And then he goes on and says, So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, do you notice something with that? It's hugely filled with love. Let me read it again. Therefore, my beloved, my long-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Now, here's the deal. There is no doubt. You know, if you want to read a very confrontational letter in the Bible, take out the, check out the book of Galatians. It's there Paul really addresses some false teaching in the church at Galatia and really hammers it pretty hard. He has to. But obviously the church at Philippi was one of, one of Paul's favorite group of people. Um, they were a good, good group of believers in Jesus Christ. A healthy group, but they weren't perfect. Now, Paul could have started that letter entirely different saying, you know, you guys, you got this problem, you got that problem. We're going to look at one of those problems in just a moment. But he didn't. He filled it with love. And the reason why I think is that Paul decided to let the common denominator rule. He had something in common with the church of Philippi. And that is this. Jesus and the journey. Jesus and the journey. Paul understood that just like himself, this was a group of people 
who genuinely love the Lord Jesus Christ. And the guy who writes this book on joy is locked in a Roman prison. In fact, he's not very far from dying, being executed by losing his head. And yet he writes a book to a church, a letter to a church, about joy. How incredible is that? And he writes it about Jesus and the journey. You know, of course, y'all have learned things that when I wear a particular tie, there's a reason for that. Um, some of you were very astute this morning and noticed that I'm wearing a Christmas tie. And your thought may have been something like this. We have got to get a younger pastor. <laughs> he is really getting confused. Now, there really are, usually there are two reasons why I wear a particular tie uh, that doesn't seem to work. One is, Judy's out of town. She's been known when I put on a certain tie and, and shirt combination, she'll go, it doesn't work, Dwayne, it doesn't work. So you know that if I wear something that looks like you go, hmm, she's probably out of town. Or I'm trying to make a point. You see, there were many things that Paul could have chosen to talk about in the church of Philippi that were not common denominators. They, they had certainly uh, the background, all those different things. It go, that were. Let's talk about the things that are wrong. But Paul chose to talk about the things that were right. Now, this is a Christmas tie. How many of y'all noticed that? Oh, a bunch of you guys did. I bet you're just dying. In fact, I told people, I said, you can't find out till the message. Now, we could say that I have a white shirt on, which is a very neutral palette. Okay? In fact, there is even white. And by the way, some, last time I wore this tie at Christmas, somebody said, what is that white glob? That is a snowman. I know you can't see from your distance. That's a snowman. So, cosmetically, you would look at it and go, okay, the shirt and the tie match. But there is a problem. I know. Listen, I'm not that old. It's not even near Christmas. Okay, so I know that's a problem. But there is a common denominator that links it all together. Now, in the older days, you would call this a necktie. This is a neck. And the common denominator between this and this is they go together. Neck, tie. Neck, tie. Neck, tie. But what we often do is we miss the obvious for others. He's wearing a Christmas necktie, and it's not Christmas. We miss the common denominator. Now listen to me. In a church, really, well, I was going to say of a church of our size. Come on, let's be honest. In a church of any size, we so often have a tendency to, to focus and capitalize on the minute details instead of realizing the common denominator, necktie. If you today are a follower of Jesus Christ and the person sitting next to you is a follower of Jesus Christ, there is a common denominator. The person sitting next to you may have brown hair and you have gray hair or person sitting next to you has no hair. You may be young, you may be old, you may be rich, you may be poor, but there's one thing that holds us together and that's Jesus. And listen, that, yeah, yeah, that's what matters. That's what matters. And I'm going to show you why it's so important in just a moment. So Paul writes these beautiful flowing words of love about a congregation that wasn't perfect. In fact, they had differences. But Paul shared the same common denominator. Don't ever forget this. And by the way, let me pause. Whenever you preach a money sermon, you instantly assume there's money problems. 
And we preach a, decision, you know, a, a message about unity in the church. Uh-oh, somebody's mad. It's nothing to do with that. All right? So, so with that thought in, in mind, keep keeping this. It does not matter our background where we are as long as we have the one common denominator, and that is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ. Now, he goes on and gives us another a very important part. He says, Therefore, my beloved and long-for brethren, my joy, my crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Listen, we live in the latter days. Now, I don't know. Listen, you don't know and I don't know. If some preacher gets up on TV and goes, Well, I think Jesus is coming back you know, tomorrow at 12 o'clock. He doesn't know. The Bible says we won't know. But we do know that we're a lot closer than we were. 2,000 years since Christ has come and gone. And Jesus Christ is coming back. We know from, listen, listen, listen. Unless you're like totally socially blind, we know our culture is in deep weeds. We know we are seeing the culture, in fact the world, but the culture that we live in is sliding in a downward trend. These are the days when the church needs to be singly focused. We cannot allow the things that would divide us to divide us as long as the thing that holds us together holds us together. And that what holds us together is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. I'm still amazed at gospel, uh, gospel preaching churches can't work together because we take the Lord's Supper weekly or once a quarter. It's amazing to me we can't work together. Gospel preaching churches can't come together and work. We ought to be able to. We ought to be able to. Because the thing that holds us together, which is Jesus, is greater than the things that doesn't. Now, he says in Philippians 1.27, he says these words. Just one thing. Live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm. There's our word. Standing firm in one spirit with one mind. There's our other word. Working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So Paul says, I'm just not going to let the things that's happened in the Philippian church to keep me from loving and supporting and encouraging them. Rather, I'm going to let the thing that holds us together. You know, can I be transparent again? You know I'm going to anyway, don't you? I hate conflict. Ask my staff. If they, were to, if they were to say, you know, so, so what is one of Dwayne's greatest weaknesses? Well, they would think for weeks. Because they say, so he's just not a weak person. No, no, just, <laughs> Why are you laughing for, dude? <laughs> no, no. You know, what is one of Dwayne's weaknesses? They would probably tell you his inability to confront conflict. I hate it. I hate it. But there's one motivation that will cause me to confront, confront conflict. And that is... I understand the need for unity. I understand the church family. Listen, we're going to talk about it in just a moment. Listen, we need to remain unified. We cannot let these small, minute details, or rather, you know, how long we preach, or how short we preach, what about the lighting, what about the music, what about what we wear, what we don't wear. Those, and by the way, I didn't talk to Tim. Those of you who came last Monday night, I didn't talk to him. Or was it Sunday morning? I didn't talk to him. God did. But we can't let the things like this that would pull us apart Pulls apart. We've got to let the common on there stick. And that's Jesus Christ. So stand side by side for and by the faith. Now what prompted all this? Well, verse number two. I implore Yodia and Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, here's what's happened. 
For some reason, there, and by the way, gentlemen, do not touch this. Leave it alone. There were two women in the church who were fighting. You understand why I said leave it alone? Let it go. Let it go. Because, you know, we have a tendency to say women drivers are bad drivers and men have more accidents than ladies. You know, we, we just get it wrong. We, we think women like to talk more than men. And it's always the men who turn the lights out. At church, I mean, you know, we, it's just, it just doesn't work. So, so we have two ladies in the Philippian church, and they're fighting, and they're fussing. Now, here's, what, here's the big deal. Satan knows the power of division. Satan knows how strong, how big, how powerful division is. You want, does it amaze you the number of churches that have split? It's crazy. I used to laugh at this. I thought it was kind of cute. Preacher one time said, sometimes we multiply by division. He was trying to make a cute comment about the fact that sometimes we need to split so we can multiply. Listen, God's word is all about multiplication, but not over Christians who can't get along. That's not even funny. But it's amazing to me. You know, I know, I know there are various reasons why churches are named what they're named. But isn't it ironic And sometimes there's a first Baptist, a second Baptist, a third Baptist, and the last Baptist? Isn't it just kind of funny? You know, isn't it crazy? The number of, of people who get mad and, and, and will divide a church, will split a church over division. Satan loves this. He loves it when people and churches are divided. Because he knows the power of it. In fact, listen to what Jesus your Lord Jesus said in Mark chapter 3. If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Jesus understood how negative division can be. So it's just hugely important. The reason Paul jumped right into this personal argument was because he knew the power of division. The negative power. Division. So the word implore means I plead with these two ladies. I beg these two ladies to learn to get along. It's huge. And you know what's crazy? Did you notice something? It wasn't about doctrine. It wasn't, it wasn't about some false doctrine that one was teaching and the other didn't agree with. We don't know what it was about. But apparently, because Paul didn't address that, it needed no correction. They just couldn't get along. Guess what causes fights in churches? People just can't get along. I said this before. If any of our staff stand up here and teaches there's no virgin birth, no way. Dismiss the service, call deacons meeting, and fire the pastor. Those things I understand. When, when churches choose to be carnally and, and unbiblical in their teaching, I understand that. It's time to take a stand. But when you just can't get along? Is that any reason to divide a church or split a church? No. Is that any reason? Listen, David and I are all about multiplication in Bible study groups. But not to the point of, I can't get along with this person, so we're going to do this. You might say, well, how do we know that's happening, Dwayne? Well, let me ask you a question. Is there anybody in this church that if you were walking down the hallway and you saw him coming, you would turn? Is there anybody in this church, when you're walking down the hallway and you saw them coming, you pretend like you dropped a quarter? Is there anyone in this church that you sit over here because they sit over there? 
I'm sorry. Those are signs of things we need to address. Because, friend, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though you mask your disdain for the other person, even though you mask your anger at the other person, even though you mask your unforgiveness, you're not masking it from holy God. People often say, why isn't the altar filled anymore? Well, there's two reasons the altar isn't filled. Because you didn't come and confess that sin of your anger at a brother. And two, the Holy Spirit can't work because of that. See, see this spiritual stuff? I'm going I'm to give you all deep truth. Are you ready? Y'all say, Dwayne, preach deep. Okay, I'm going deep. Hang on. This God stuff is real. This God stuff is real. And things don't happen unless the Holy Spirit has free reign to work. You can bring in the prettiest and best speaker you ever got, but without the Holy Spirit, it's a nice speech. You can bring in the best worship team that you want to, but without the Holy Spirit, it's nice music. You can have, you can have a, the best teacher in your Sunday school class, but without the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that lesson becomes mere words. God must be central in what we do at the Dorsville Baptist Church. Without Him, it doesn't happen. In fact, I'll just say this. I'm just meddling. I am just meddling. I am just meddling. I confess it to you. If you ever wonder, why don't people? You should make that a matter of prayer. God, why are you not working? And then simply ask this question. Is it me? What I tell you about Gypsy Smith? To ask when revival, how does revival start? You draw a circle, get in the middle and say, God, begin with me. If you truly want to know, okay, God, what can I, God, what, what needs to happen in Dorsville Baptist Church for you to really work like we've never seen you work before? Ask God this question. God, is there anything in my life that I need to clean up? Is there anything in my life? I need to... Oh, gosh. Okay. What about marriage? Some of y'all sitting here today say, I'm in the worst marriage. My marriage stinks. Dude. Et. Dude or dude et. Have you asked God? Have you asked God and said, okay, God, what is it? Why, why is my marriage not good? And don't proceed to answer the question with God and say, okay, God, I know why. Because he's a jerk. Or she's a jerk at. Why not begin, and before you come to my office and go, I, I've come so you'll pray for my husband. Because I might just say to you, why don't we start praying for you? See, it's, it's all relationships that can be impacted by this thing called division. They just could not get along. So he says, you know, for these two women to be the same mind, how? In the Lord. And what's at stake? What's at stake? The world's at stake. Jesus Christ, the one who died on this cross, is the only hope of this world. Some of you are hanging your hat on a November election in two years. You better hang your hat on a different pole. The answer never has been politics. It never will be politics. The answer is not a party. Never has been a party. The answer is Jesus Christ. And listen. Listen. There is not a plan B. We are his chosen vessel to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no plan B. And a church that's, that's unhappy and divided about things that do not, do not matter in eternity cannot be an effective witnessing tool for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why this 
is important. That's why these two ladies had to get it together. So how do you do that? Well, you preach a sermon about it for one thing. And again, there's not anybody in the church. But, but look what happens. Paul says in verse 3, And I urge you also, true companion, whom we do not know who that is. True companion, help these women. Paul says to this person whom we do not know who it is, said, help these ladies come together. Now, it's crazy enough that sometimes in churches, there's, there's fussing over things that don't matter. Even crazier is, is the people who will help it go bad or worse. Worser. Not good. We're moving on. There's two things, at least two things, you can pour on a fire. And I made a word up. Because I didn't want to say you should pour gas on a fire, because we all know that's a really bad idea. Read my lips. Do not pour gas on a fire. Do not go home and say, I need to burn some limbs and pour gas on a fire, because the pastor used the illustration. I came up with a word. It depends on what kind of incinerate. It sounds real, doesn't it? Mike, you didn't check that one out, baby. Incinerant. What kind of incinerant are you going to pour? Are you going to pour gas on the fire? Are you going to pour water on the fire? Now, Paul says, in this situation, I urge you also, true companion, help these women. Paul speaks to this person who is in the church and says, listen, guys, listen. Help these these ladies to overcome their problem. Because you know what happens in churches, don't you? We form groups. And I'm not talking about Sunday school groups. Clicks. What we do is, there's a person, you know, it takes two to fight. So you have somebody over here, and we have people that gather around this person. Paul, Paul and, and Paulus had this. You know, had people that gathered over here, and then there's somebody over here, and you got people gathering over here. And listen, when you have groups like that, guess what you just did? You poured gas on the fire. Paul says, don't be a gas pour, be a water pour. Seek to put the fire out. He says this in Galatians in chapter 6. Brethren, if a man or woman is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such as one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So Paul is asking these, these ones to come in And to help with the fire out. Help these ladies come together. Now we learn something about these ladies that's very important. Look what he says. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clementi, and we don't know who he is either, also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now question. What does that say about these ladies? Were they slackers? Were they busybodies in the church? They were gladiators in the gospel arena. These were solid women. And somehow they butted heads. Don't think it can't happen to you. Satan, listen, Satan is always looking for people who were at churches. So be careful. These women were good women. They simply got crossways one with another. And Paul says to this fellow yoke person, help them, help them, help them come back together. So what's the deal? 
Number one, number one, love. Understand the common denominator that is Jesus Christ. Two, if you're crossways with someone, hear the word of the Lord. Come together. Now listen, I'm telling you guys, and I know you all get tired of hearing this. I'm telling you, this is how the world knows that we are Christ followers. The way we handle relationships. When two people who are at odds can come together, love and forgive, that's a mighty witness of the grace of Jesus Christ. That's a great witness of the love of Jesus Christ. When a husband and wife who are just mm, 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 can come together and forgive one another and love one another, that's a great witness. The world knows all about brokenness. The world knows all about broken churches and broken marriages and broken parent-child relationships. They understand all that. They get that. They see that. What they don't see is this. So that's why Paul makes such a big deal. He pauses right in the middle of the Philippians and says, Look, tell these ladies to get together. Because it's a powerful witness of Jesus Christ. Is that cool? Now again, let me say one more time. Let me my, my caveat one more time. There's no fussing fuss in the church. No names are in my brain. But I do know this. That roaring lion is seeking whom he may devour. If you find yourself having conversations in your head, watch out. If you find yourself in the shower and you're sitting there letting the water beat on your back and all of a sudden names start popping in your brain and you're having this two-way conversation with a brother or sister or your husband your wife, conversation you'd be having in the flesh and not in your brain, watch out. When you find your mind wandering where it should not wander and wishing unkindness on people, be careful. Because mind games is where it starts. And Satan loves nothing more than to divide so he can conquer. Divide so he can conquer. So, that's life on the, in the small world. Now he moves on, though, without, without missing a beat. He moves on and gives us more encouragement about mind games and how we ought to live. Because he says, now, guys, let's lay that aside. And we're simply going to say this. Listen, I want you to have joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He says, we have every reason. In spite, listen, the ladies, in spite of the ladies and the ladies coming together, we have every reason to be joyful. If there's anybody in this world who ought to be joyful, it's us. It's us. See, he says rejoice how? In the Lord. Did y'all hear what happened? I didn't get my iPhone 6 Plus. I know. In fact, we just need Paul's and have prayer. No, it didn't happen. In fact, you know what? I got up on a Friday morning... And went down there. They store opened at 8 o'clock. And you know, I said, you know, I'll go down there. If there's a big long line, I'll stand in line. Who knows? I might just get the iPhone 6 Plus. So, so I go down to Paducah, drive all the way to Paducah. And I get there, and there's nobody in line. Like, nobody. I get out of my car. One lady does then get out of her car. And we're standing at the door talking. Yeah, I pre-ordered the iPhone 6. So I'm here for the 6 Plus. You know, da 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 so they open the doors, and we're the only two people in the store. Opening day, iPhone 6. I walk up. Do you have any iPhone 6 Pluses? 
No, thank you. I had to walk out empty-handed. I waited for that sucker for a year. I mean, it didn't happen. Guess what? I ain't even broken-hearted. My joy does not depend on the iPhone 6 Plus. I just might go back to a droid. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Let's not push this illustration too far. Guys, our joy doesn't depend on circumstances. Our joy doesn't depend on things. And listen, I know this sounds crazy, but some of y'all need to hear this. Your joy doesn't even depend on relationships. Rejoice in the Lord. Son, you were dead in trespasses and sin. You are eternally separated from a holy God. And God in His grace reached out and forgave your sins. And you now can call Him Father. I mean, if God did nothing else but forgive your sins and bring a relationship with Him, what more could there be? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't let circumstances control your joy level. And then He goes on and says this. He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. This ties back into what we talked about. This word gentleness, um, I think in the King James, it's moderation. One translation has self-control. Here's some different words that the Greek word can translate as. Your graciousness, your consideration, your forbearance, your tolerance, time out, caveat, not tolerance for things that are ungodly, but tolerance for people. Come on. Sometimes we have to put up with people. Okay, sometimes we just have to. So your tolerance, um, your generosity, especially with grace. He says, let your gentleness, let your forbearance, let your graciousness, let your consideration, let your forbearance, let your tolerance, let your generosity be known to all people. In other words, listen, when they look at you and you've got your tattoo on, you've got your tat. Make sure your spiritual tat is gentleness, moderation, graciousness. Dwayne, even in this crazy world, yes. You know, if, I check, if you check out the teachings of Jesus, Jesus definitely got angry. Guess who got angry at? The church people. You didn't see him getting angry with, with the sinners. He got angry at the Pharisees and the scribes. That's your forbearance. You know, why, Dwayne? Why, why, why? The Lord's at hand. He's coming. He's coming. And every day, millions of people slip into a crisis hell. Right here in the Harrisburg, perhaps every week, people slip into a crisis hell. The Lord is at hand. The, the beautiful song that Linda sang, My life is in your hand. Because you see, Dwayne, it sounds to me like you're saying that I have to surrender my rights. You're very perceptive. Because that's exactly what the Word of God says. We are dead to ourselves. We are to surrender ourselves. We are to surrender our rights. Let your forbearance, your graciousness, your consideration be known to all people because the Lord is at hand. Real quickly, look at verse 6. We can't quit without 6. So he says, don't let anything control your joy level. 
Be gracious and generous because Jesus is coming back. So be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Dwayne, what is the answer? What is the answer to a crazy world? What is the answer to that angst I feel with that person? What's the, what's the, what's the answer I feel with that angst with my husband? Or, sir, with your wife? Well, don't worry about it. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Hey, folks, there's power in prayer. There really is. And verse 7. And the peace of God. And the peace of God. Which passes all understanding. Will guard your hearts. And there's our word. Minds. Through Christ Jesus. If you learn. If you learn to. Let your joy. In the Lord. And not in circumstance or things. If you let your graciousness. Your consideration. Be known to all men because Jesus Christ is coming back. If you'll learn to, to trust God, because see, by the way, do you know when you worry, you know what you're telling God? You can't. I can do better than you. God, I don't quite trust you. Just pray about it. Trust Him. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Through Christ Jesus. Let me close with one of my favorite scriptures. Jesus said, Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. My peace I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Give me about two minutes. Three minutes. Okay, so you've been offended. You're one of these ladies. She, you paid $70 for an Easter dress. And you told her about it. She was your friend. And she wore the exact same dress. And showed up at church 30 minutes earlier than you just so she'd be the first one. I know, it is serious stuff. God, I've got this angst. And God, I, it's not me. It's not on me. But I just, I just can't forgive. I just can't let it go. God, my circumstances, they're so messed up. Joy? I don't even know how to get out in the morning, up in the morning. I don't know how to get out of bed. The kids have been up all night. I don't know how to do it. What do I do with this? Moderation, graciousness. God, do you work for my boss? Do you know my circumstances? Prayer. Prayer, God. Prayer that says, God, you know better than me. I thought it was like I'm supposed to ask you what I want. You're Santa Claus and you give it. Prayer, God. Peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, my peace I give. 
know when that was written? Jesus is speaking it. John 14, 27. You know when it was written? When it was spoken? Hours before the cross. Hours before some Roman soldiers were going to take spikes and drive them through his wrist and his feet. Hours before he'd be beaten within an inch of his life. Hours before they put a crown of thorns and planted on his head. Hours before he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hours before he cried out, it is finished. Hours before the truth of he became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. Dwayne, how he was God in the flesh, yes, but how could he say that? Because he trusted his father. He trusted his father. He believed his father was sovereign. He believed his father was in control. And you have a choice today dealing with relationships, your joy level, how you live it out, how's your forbearance lived out, your prayer life. You have a choice. And that choice is you can trust God that he is in control and he's sovereign, which, by the way, might mean you don't get the answer you want. Or you can believe he's not in control. And guess what? You don't get the answer you want. You can, you can trust that God will handle that husband, that wife, that person in this room that you cannot get along with. That you can trust and leave that in God's hands. You can, you can trust that God is in control of your circumstances. And if He doesn't deliver you from those circumstances, He will give you the energy and the power through the Holy Spirit to deal with those circumstances. You're in a situation where it is very hard for you to be forbearing anything. Very difficult for you. You can trust God that He will empower you through His Holy Spirit. You can get up tomorrow morning and have the courage to say, God, I know I'd like. This is how I'd like this prayer answered. But you know what, God? I acknowledge you're a lot smarter than me. And God, I'm going to trust you. This is what I want. But I'm going to trust you. Because your will matters more than my will. And you know, when all those things happen, you don't have war. You have peace. You have peace. Imagine waking up tomorrow and you're sitting across the table from him again. And he left his stinking underwear on the floor for the 37th day in a row and you've been counting. But you know what? In your heart, there's graciousness. Not because he deserves it, but because God gave it to you. Come on, y'all. You see? You see? War, peace. War, peace. Peace I give to you, not as the world gives. My peace I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Will you bow your heads right there? So what's the takeaway? What's, What's the bottom line? Well, I, this might be one of them shotgun sermons, and that's a bad thing. But I bet we can narrow it down pretty skinny. 
that in these latter days we're living in, it's so important the body of Christ love each other. And again, I don't know of anyone that's fussing and fighting, but you do. You may have had a discussion in your science school class this morning. You may have had a discussion driving to church today. And God's speaking to your heart right now. So maybe perhaps right now in the time of decision, it's just, Lord, you know. You know, God. It may be you're sitting there today going, I don't like my circumstances. But today you're willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to trust your sovereignty. You may be in a situation where it's really hard for you to be gracious. But you believe that God's Holy Spirit can enable you to do it. I guess it goes back to what David, I, I quoted David about three weeks ago. When he said, you know, Dwayne, it really involves surrender. It does. You're a Jesus follower. The Holy Spirit lives within you. It's time to surrender. It's time to surrender. Now, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, and I talked a little bit about the cross today, it's just an amazing thing what he did. The bottom line is, we in our natural state, we're dead and trespassed in sin. I know that's a real scriptural term, but the bottom line is we're separated from God. Separated from God. And there's nothing we can do to bring us and God together. So God did it for us. That's what Easter was all about. That's what Good Friday was all about. That's what Christmas is all about. Jesus became flesh, died on a cross, and rose again on the third day. And we'll turn from our sin, if we'll repent, turn from our sin and believe we can have a relationship with the creator God of the universe. In just a moment, my friend Brent's going to be standing down front. And first off, you're here today, and that's never happened in your life. We would love to talk to you about Jesus today. And if you're here today and other issues have come into your mind, we want to give that opportunity to Let me just encourage you to talk to the Father about it today. I love you, God. I really do. You know I wrestle with this message. I need to confess to the people. I guess that's what I'm doing right now. But Father, I wrestle with this. Not because it was hard. Not because they didn't want to teach it. I just wanted to make it clear. God, Satan loves division. He, he loves to tear marriages apart and churches apart and, and parents and kids apart. He loves to tear friends apart. And our hope is in you. So I pray first off for my friend here today who's separated from you. Because of sin. Would he come? Would she come? Would they come? Drawn by you. And experience your great grace. Your wonderful forgiveness. And God this is one of those times I'm going to pray that. Father each one of us. Will let you work in our hearts. There might be a broken relationship. And the person's dead. And you need to help that person deal with that. Broken relationship. It may involve writing a letter. I don't know. I know this, God. With you, 
all things are possible. I go back one more time to my sister's song. My life is in your hands. Thank you for that. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.